All right, so we are now in our third um, third talk, third session on this topic, the new evangelization. We started the first evening talking about it in general, about how um, it was the defining theme of John Paul II's papacy, how in his papacy the new evangelization took root in a large number of what are called the new movements in the church, but hasn't really permeated parish life. And the thing Pope Francis is wanting to do is to take that same vision and talk about how it needs to change parish life, needs, as he puts it, to transform everything in parish existence. Um, then last week, we looked at the process of how people come to faith, um, in large part drawing on Shea Waddell's book, the different stages, the five thresholds she talks about and how someone comes to faith, which if we're going to help someone in that process in the new evangelization, we need to kind of know how that process works and think, well, maybe I can help with that stage even if I'm not very good at that stage kind of thing. Now tonight I want to talk about, in a sense, the most difficult part of the new evangelization which is actually when we reach that stage of actually talking about it to somebody. So tonight we're looking at how to start the conversation. Uh, I said we often refer to our need to tell others about our faith and about the person of the Lord Jesus, but how can we do this? Tonight we're going to look at some indicators from um, Pope Francis um, and from a couple others. Now, before we talk about anything, uh, I want to note two difficulties that are here. One that's a difficulty on our part, usually, and another that can be a difficulty kind of on the other person's part. So, to ask the question, why is it that we're shy to talk about this? Because almost all of us are shy to talk about it. Well, let me use a visual image here, a guy and a girl and he wants to ask her on a date, um, well, what's the thing he's going to be most awkward about? What's the most important thing he wants to say to her? Well, that's the very thing he's most awkward about saying. Talking about unimportant things is easy. No one finds it awkward to talk about football. Um, yes? <laughs> So the fact that we find it awkward to talk about the Lord can actually be precisely because it's important, not because it's unimportant. Talking about Jesus, finding it awkward doesn't mean you think it's not important. Um, so to phrase it that way, it would be awkward, is awkward to say, can I introduce you to my friend Jesus? Um, so that's an awkwardness on our part. Well, there's another kind of awkwardness from their part that sometimes people don't want to hear. So can you all read that billboard someone's got outside their house? Um, no. Uh, well, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a joke, but just all the things to deter a salesman knocking on your door. Um, and one of the things it says is, we have found Jesus. Uh, we don't need you ringing our doorbell. So people 
often at the receiving end, they just don't want to hear, and they make it quite clear sometimes. A few other awkwardnesses. Um, talking about this reveals myself. It reveals the depth or the shallowness of my relationship with Christ. It reveals what I think about the person I'm talking to, if I'm going to tell them about the Lord. And it reveals what is most important or not in my life. That it, there's a lot of disclosing of ourselves, actually, when we talk about the Lord. And that is awkward. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that, that this is awkward. There are reasons why it's awkward. doesn't mean it's not important to do, but acknowledging that can help us overcome it. So... Tonight's talk is how to start the conversation. Because actually, the most difficult thing, I think, is the beginning of the conversation, how to start it. And I'm going to draw on three sources. So these aren't my ideas I'm giving you. They're from other people. First is from the Pope himself. I'm drawing from his book, Evangelii Gaudium. The second is drawing from Sherry Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples. And the third, um, there's a very good article um, on the website. You can follow this up yourself if you want. It's called Six Simple Ways to Nudge a Conversation. And I'm going to summarize all these for you tonight. So you have here stamp of an expert. Well, Pope Francis says you don't have to be an expert to do this. Let me read what he says. He says... The new evangelization calls for personal involvement on the part of each of the baptized. Every Christian is challenged here and now to be actively engaged in evangelization. Indeed, anyone who has truly experienced God's saving love does not need much time or lengthy training to go out and proclaim that love. Every Christian is a missionary to the extent that he or she has encountered the love of God in Jesus Christ. We no longer say that we are disciples and missionaries, but rather that we are always missionary disciples. So what he's trying to point out is that we can think that being an evangelist, doing missionary work is something only for the experts. He's saying actually it's simple, it's belongs, therefore, to every single Christian, every one of the baptized. If we've had that experience of the love of God, that's not complicated. He does say, though, that training can help. So there's an image here of a bunch of people in lab coats, so they all look like experts. Yes, we can imagine an expert evangelist. So he also says, we want to have better training, a deepening love and a clearer witness to the gospel. In this sense, we ought to let others be constantly evangelizing us. But this should not mean that we should postpone the evangelizing mission. Rather, each of us should find ways to communicate Jesus wherever we are. Our falling short of perfection should be no excuse. On the contrary, mission is always a constant stimulus, not to remain mired in mediocrity, but to continue growing. So there's two points. You don't have to be an expert. Training can help, but even without training, 
we still have this mission. So, again, tonight's talk, to actually get on with it, um, how to start the conversation. So, six steps I'm drawing from uh, the Pope in Evangelii Gaudium. First, he says listening. So there's an image of somebody listening. He refers to what he calls spiritual accompaniment, that we should be aiming to accompany people on their journey. He says we need to be hearing the joys, hopes, and concerns of other people. He says listening is an openness of the heart which makes possible that closeness without which genuine spiritual encounter cannot occur. Listening helps us find the right gesture and word. Now, on one level, this might seem too obvious to say, but actually, often, when we do talk about our faith, we don't do this enough. We leap to some issue we want to talk about, and we don't spend enough time first listening to the person we wish to talk to, to know what their needs are, what their concerns are, why they might have an initial or a long-lasting hostility to something we're trying to say, that we need to listen at a very deep level to the individual we are seeking to speak to before anything else. Secondly, staying on message. Um, so, you know, politicians these days always talk about being on message, that, you know, the cabinet will always have training to be on message about whatever. Pope puts it this way, keeping in mind the fundamental message, the personal love of God who became man, who gave himself up for us, who is living and offers us his salvation and his friendship. So that often, because people will come to us with some complaint or some issue or some experience of the church or something hostile they've heard in the media, that we can let ourselves get absorbed in something else, we need to be clear that in anything we're doing and talking about, we're staying on message, that the core of the message is what we are wanting to talk about and not letting ourselves get distracted by something else. Now here the Pope, I think, says something, again, obvious but easy to forget. He says, introduce God's Word. So we have an, here we have an image of the Bible. We need to bring the Bible, God's Word, into the situation. He says, bring up God's Word perhaps by reading a Bible verse or relating a story of the Bible, but always keeping in mind the fundamental message. But I imagine most of us will know that experience. Evangelical Protestants will often be very good at this, that they will be talking to someone and they will have their Bible there and they will open it and they will turn to it. That what this is doing when we introduce God's Word is we're taking it away from myself and what I've got to tell you to what the Lord has to tell you, what the Lord has said and where he's written it down. <clears throat> Fourth, to speak in that person's language. 
So there's a little cartoon here. Um, there's jargon on the computer screen. Use mouse to open window. So he's got a mouse and he's smashing the window with it, yeah? Um, so that we need to use language people understand. The gospel needs to be preached in categories proper to each culture to create a new synthesis with that particular culture. So the church has been around for 2,000 years and every culture it's existed in, it's looked slightly different, sometimes very different. And it's used the language, the culture, the categories of, of that time. And so we need to be seeking to do the same in our era. So I gave a couple examples last week of how Pope Francis in Evangelii Gaudium is, is using very modern bits of terminology in how he's packaging certain things, particularly in what's called personalism. Um, so I've got a couple examples here. So he talks about relationship. He talks about something being personal. He talks about encounter. He talks about joy. That these are things people in our culture will relate to. If you start by talking about truth, people today aren't interested in truth, sadly. Um, you need to talk about things that people are interested in, and then we need to also point out, kind of after that, that it's only with truth, with the truth about the Lord, that you will truly find these things. But our initial engagement has to be in the language of the people we're talking to. Fifthly, uh, the Pope talks about, he says, offer reasons for the credibility of the gospel. He says, apologetics is needed to encourage greater openness to the gospel. So I've said there, don't just state a truth, give reasons for it. For those of you who are older will probably remember apologetics being more fashionable in your youth. Um, that things like the Catholic Evidence Guild, people would have stood up at Hyde Park Corner and they would have had long lists of reasons and apologetics that they would have given for various truths of the gospel. And the Pope's saying that this actually has to be a part still today of what we're doing, that it's not just enough to tell people about Jesus, but we have to give reasons and reasons behind the whole package. Otherwise, there's an, if we don't give those reasons at a, a rational level, we're going to not make it possible for, he says, the openness to the gospel, that, that reason can't force somebody to believe, but it can help them become open to it, to open, to open to something beyond where they are already, and that's the role of apologetics. And then the sixth step uh, Pope Francis offers um, says, some conversation you've had to close it with prayer, he says. If it seems prudent and the circumstances are right, this fraternal and missionary encounter could end with a brief prayer related to the concerns which the person may have expressed. In this way, they will have had an experience of being listened to and understood. And I've noted there that it's only by God's power that conversion is achieved. 
that often when we are seeking to talk about the Lord, we can easily make it very Pelagian, that it's, it's my effort, my task. One of the things prayer reminds us of is that it isn't our task, it's the Lord's. Um, closing with prayer can do that. And we might note that the Pope says, if it seems prudent, um, that there are obviously many people that you have a conversation with whose scepticism, hostility to the whole thing means that even a very vague prayer would raise more hackles than it would be fruitful. Um, but this is his um, closing step of the six steps. So, I said six steps that I've taken from Pope Francis. Now I'm going to take, um, in Sherry Waddell's book, um, she kind of summarises two stages. First she talks about a threshold conversation and secondly she talks about the need to tell the story. So again, listening. Um, so she talks about a threshold conversation uh, which involves listening. It involves asking someone what he or she thinks of God who she relates to as God, or how, rather, it should be how he or she relates to God, if or why she thinks there is or is not a God, to ask a question. And she says that can be as short as 10 minutes, um, and she says it can be within the context of a longer conversation. So often if you're talking to a friend and you might be with them for an afternoon, there might be a moment within that time that it might be possible to ask a question. Um, what they think of God, and to listen to what they say. Don't just leap in with the answer that we need to first listen. And she notes that at this listening stage, this looking for what she calls a threshold conversation, a conversation that can serve as a threshold across to something else, she says the goal isn't catechizing. The goal isn't to correct somebody's beliefs, um, that the goal is listening. Which I guess we can all realise is much easier to say than to do. That if we do have something to say, it can be very hard to not leap in and just correct those few sentences you said. Um, she makes a very interesting observation. She says, if people talk about themselves and what they think, Never allow someone to use a label. So she gives the example of an atheist that will ask someone, well, what do you mean by that when you call yourself that? Because almost always people aren't quite sure what they mean, but they take refuge in a label. One of the things I've, I've often had over the years is someone will say, oh, well, I'm into Buddhism. Uh, and if you ask, uh, and what does that mean? Well, what is Buddhism? What do you mean by Buddhism? they actually don't know what they mean, but it's a comfortable label by which they can avoid um, a lot of things. So if you're wanting to actually engage and listen beyond, not letting somebody just kind of close down the conversation with a label, what do you mean by that? A um, couple possible questions she suggests. Tell me about the gods you don't believe in. 
Have you ever believed in God previously? What gives meaning to your life? Do you ever pray? And how do you pray? I guess we all know that weirdness that there are so many of the atheists out there who do actually pray quite a bit. Um, So all of these, and in the book she gives other examples, they're all very open-ended questions. They're questions in which we need to be wanting to listen to what someone else has to say, not just leap in with, uh, let me actually answer that for you, even though I asked the question. Um, And that if we haven't first listened, we're not going to be able to take it to somewhere else. And she sums up all the different questions she'd have at this stage by saying, the basic question in a threshold conversation is, what has your relationship with God been like to this point in your life? And it may be that the relationship hasn't kind of felt like there is much of one, but actually that in itself is a story. And a possible closing question she suggests If you could ask God one question that you knew he would answer right away, what would it be? And what she's aiming at with a question like that is it does actually broaden somebody's outlook to be even thinking, well, what, what would God say? So, two stages she talks about. The first, listening open-ended questions. The second is, she says, tell the story. And much like Pope Francis's thing about being on message, knowing what the story is, is pivotal if we're going to tell the story. Because it's not my story, it's not your story. The thing is, it's the Lord's. It's what's written in Scripture. Just already said that. It's not my story, it's God's story. It's the history of God's relationship with his chosen people culminating in his coming in the person of Jesus Christ. Now you won't be able to see back there, but there's um, a timeline here of all the events of scripture. The creation, the children of Abraham, Moses, Joshua, the kingdom, the judges, the kings, the divided kingdom, the exile, the return from the exile, and finally, the Lord Jesus coming and the founding of his church. There's a great many of us who we may hear bits of the story every Sunday at Mass, but actually, if you were asked where in the lineup of history do these different events happen, we might not know. We might have heard them time and time again, but really not have a clue where in the lineup of history they've come. And yet, if we're going to really understand them, we need to know what they're relating to, because actually it, it changes their significance dramatically if we know what those events are. So one of the things I'm going to be um, offering after Christmas is... Um, what's called the Bible Timeline course, which of all the things I did in my previous parish was by far the most popular uh, of any courses. Um, 
by a chap called Jeff Cavins, and in, in eight sessions he summarizes all of the Bible, uh, and so you're able to actually have a much greater grasp of all these different things you hear at Mass on Sunday. The point is, there is a story, there is a narrative that connects everything that's happening in the Bible. And it's the story of God's relationship with his people and how it unfolds and how it led to a goal, namely the coming of the Lord. And that's the story that we have to tell. A story rooted in events of history in which God was active and God spoke. I've said that experts aren't needed. Even you know the basic story. Uh, so even if you might not think you could list all the bits of the, the Bible in the right order, the basic story we all know. Um, now the more of it we know, the better. Um, the more riches we appreciate as well as are able to pass on. But we all know the basic story. So, I've talked about what Pope Francis says, six points he suggests in a conversation. Talked about how Sherry Waddell has these two stages. And lastly, and a bit more briefly, I'm going to point out six basics um, that are on this website for what to be doing in a conversation um, with somebody. Um, they say, and a lot of these noticeably overlap, which in a sense is reassuring. If they were all saying radically different things, that would be a problem. Prayer, that, um, and it quotes Pope Francis, spirit-filled spirit evangelizers are evangelizers who pray and work. The great men and women of God were great intercessors. They asked for things. If they've got someone that they're wanting to bring to the Lord, that they pray to the Lord for that person and their conversion. Website suggests uniting your pain. So when we are carrying our cross, and when we have those moments when we're particularly aware of some cross we're carrying, to, to offer it up for those intentions, for the conversion of the people we're wanting to bring to the Lord. Suggests also, point three, to love people where they are. Um, have love and affection even before others convert. So in a bit, how you can marry somebody and think, well, I'll love them after I've changed them into the thing I intend to make them into. Um, that we can have something of that attitude with this too. That, um, but that we need to love the person we're seeking to convert even before they've come to the Lord. Love them already. makes a point um, related to the one from Pope Francis about apologetics. Educate yourself. If you're going to talk to somebody about the Lord, about the faith, um, we need to be making an effort ourselves to know more. Um, so to be able to respond with more than just a blank stare, um, to read answers. So there's a great website called www.catholic.com. So that's a easy one to remember, um, but it's the website of an organization called Catholic Answers, uh, and every kind of question somebody might come up, it's got a, a systematic, good, brief, popular-leveled answer 
Uh, and if we're familiar with those sorts of sources, then it's going to be easier for us when people throw weird questions. Again, I've po quoted Pope Francis here. Yet all the baptized, whatever their position in the church or their level of instruction in the faith, are agents of evangelization. And it would be insufficient to envisage a plan of evangelization to be carried out only by professionals, while the rest of the faithful would simply be passive recipients. So yes, we do want to educate ourselves, but not think, well, if I've not read anything yet, or I've not read anything this week, then I, I shouldn't be saying anything. Um, so there's a kind of two things to hold together. Uh, the sixth point this website recommends is to ask questions. Uh, it gives the example. Robert Novak, a uh, famous American convert, converted when a fellow student asked him what he thought would happen to him when he died. We all die, you know, she said. He had never really thought about it until she asked him directly. Asking questions avoids needing to have all the answers because sometimes the best response is no response, leaving your interculoc... In I can't say it tonight. Um, the other person... Uh, <laughs> to stew on their own thoughts instead of latching onto yours. Um, so both Pope, both Pope Francis and Sherry Waddell actually talked about listening, asking questions. Um, but... The example there with Robert Novak, some questions, in a sense, make somebody think more than others. Then the last of these points, uh, point six, to witness joyfully. Um, and then a couple of quotes here. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila, may God protect me from dour saints. Um, and many of you might have read or at least seen Frank Sheed's book, Saints Are Not Sad. Uh, short biographies of joyful saints. And a quote there from Pope Francis, the joy of the gospel fills the hearts and lives of all who encounter Jesus. If that's true, if that has been our life, then actually we should be wanting to show that rather than forget to show it because we're a little anxious about talking about the Lord. So, in summary... What's the most important thing he wants to say to her? The most important thing to him is probably the most awkward. Um, so just because it is awkward doesn't mean it's not important to us. Talking about Jesus, as I've said there, repeating myself, finding it awkward doesn't mean you think it's not important. The six steps of Pope Francis, listening, staying on message, Introducing God's word, not just mine. Speaking in that person's language. Offering reasons for the credibility of the gospel. And if possible, closing in prayer. All right, that concludes my talk tonight.